0: Good morning, uh, Trinity. My name is Dave, the site pastor here at Trinity Galewood. Welcome to our space, and I have the honor and privilege of uh, teaching from God's Word here this morning. Uh, And so before we do that, I would love to offer a prayer as we dig into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for technology, the ability to be together Uh, as a family of believers and to learn from your word. And I pray that as we dig into your word in Jonah 4, may your spirit guide and lead us and uh, teach us a little bit more about you and what it means to look, live, and love more like you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So today we're finishing up our series on the book of Jonah, and just so we're all on the same page, I just want to make sure you know what the story of Jonah is all about. So it goes like this. Uh, There's this guy named Jonah, and uh, he is a prophet. He's called by God to go and speak for God. And so God shows up and tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them about me. Uh, that's not something that Jonah is excited to do. So he runs the opposite direction. In fact, if you were to look on a map, he goes to Tarshish, the opposite direction of where God has called him to go to, which is Nineveh. And in the process of fleeing to Tarshish, he gets on a boat and the winds and the waves start coming in on the boat. And the sailors come to Jonah and they're like, hey, Do you know why this is happening? And Jonah's like, I think it's me. Why don't you throw me overboard? And so they do. The winds and the waves stop, and Jonah sinks down into the sea. A familiar part of the story, Jonah gets uh, eaten and swallowed up by a giant fish. And he's in the belly of the fish for three days. And in in that time, he has this beautiful prayer that he prays to God. And then what happens next is the fish comes up and spits Jonah out, and he goes to Nineveh, the place that he was supposed to go, that he was running away from. And as Pastor Mark was talking about last week, he goes to Nineveh, and 120,000 people repent. They, they become a part of God's team. And, and Jonah goes and does what God had called him to do. Now, uh, if you were to read this in uh, my kid's Bible at home, the story Bible, which we love, this is the picture of Jonah here. You can see him getting spit out by the fish and looking like Superman coming out of the fish's belly there. And, and Jonah here, according to many children's stories and Bibles and things like that, uh, many would say that that's how the story ends. That Jonah went uh, back and did what God had asked him to do, and it kind of becomes this fairy tale ending. Everything's great and nice and neat. But that's not how the Bible ends, and that's not how the story of Jonah ends in the scriptures, in the Bible. In fact, it's way more challenging and really beautiful for us to see. Because what what God is gonna do with Jonah is going to dig deep into his heart. That he's not going just to save Nineveh, he is also working on Jonah as well. And so what we read in Jonah chapter four is that Jonah leaves and goes outside of Nineveh and he gets angry with God. He's mad and frustrated by how God has acted. And it's in this moment that God has some questions for Jonah. Questions that I think are really relevant for you and me today. Now, in uh, the McGinley household, uh, my wife, Gretchen, she is the primary grocery. Uh, getter, I guess you could say, in our family. And shout out to anybody who you're with this morning who is uh, going to the grocery store and dealing with all the crazies and the people out there. You need to give them a high five this morning, all right? Uh, My wife goes and gets most of the groceries for our household. But there are two things in our house that I, uh, Dad, Dave, am in charge of getting. There are these two things. Tortilla chips in sparkling water. Uh, that's it. When we are low on these things, the kids will come to me or Gretchen and say, hey, babe, we need uh, more tortilla chips and we need sparkling water. And there is only one place where I will go to get tortilla chips from, one brand that is the Jewel brand tortilla chips. If you're with me, you can say amen in the chat bar on the side here, all right? These chips are incredible. And so it was a Sunday afternoon. My kids uh, informed me that we were low on the supplies that I'm in charge of, and I drove up to Jewel. And as I was uh, walking into our local neighborhood Jewel store, there was a guy that was waiting right by the door. He had a bunch of stuff laid out in front of him, clearly looked like he was somebody who was traveling and was probably going to be asking me for something. And so as I was about to enter in, he said, hey, man, do you think you could pick something up for me from inside? I said, man, sure. I got you. What do you need? He said, I'd love some fried chicken and potato salad if you wouldn't mind. It's like, all right, cool. That's doubling my list, but that'll be okay, all right? And so I went inside, uh, grabbed three bags of tortilla chips. Don't judge me because they're that good, all right? I grabbed some sparkling water and then I headed to the deli to go get that fried chicken and potato salad. And as I got close to the deli, I noticed that there was a long line, literally like 20 people deep, so long that they were running the ticket system, so I had to go grab a ticket, you know, and I was just waiting in line. Two people working, and they are moving so slow. Like, the people who are working there are taking orders of deli meats that seem to just be going on and on and on and on, and as I'm sitting there waiting, I'm, like, trying to be efficient with my time because I got my items, and I'm looking at my watch and thinking, I'm gonna be here forever, And as I'm waiting in line to finally be called, I hear this guy, two people behind me, tell the person behind him that the only reason he's waiting in line is because the dude out front asked for some fried chicken and potato salad. And I was like, that's my job. I'm the one who already said that I'm going to be doing it. What's wrong with this guy? He doesn't trust me that I'm going to go get this stuff. And and as I'm like just fuming with some anger and frustration and thinking all about me and my time and all of the leisure that I'm missing on at home, I was reminded of this kind of thought, that there can be times where you're doing something, but your heart is really not in it. it Maybe for you, that wasn't waiting in line at Jewel maybe that was a gift that you purchased your spouse that you were trying to apologize with you weren't going to really like admit that the things that you said and the actions that you did you're going to do differently now but you're thinking that the gift is going to solve something you're doing something but your heart's really not in it or maybe for you that's being together as a family and even though we're together as a family You're just sitting on your phone and occupied with work or friends or Snapchats or whatever it is where you're doing something, but your heart really isn't in it. Jonah chapter four is all about this. Welcome to the story of Jonah. In fact, what we read in this moment is that God is going to be working on Jonah's heart in a very deep way. In fact, he's going to ask him, I believe, three questions that are so important. I would love for you to write these down on your journals or whatever you're using to take notes here this morning. But we have three questions for Jonah that are so important for you and I to wrestle with. The first one comes here in the first words in chapter 4, Jonah 1 through 3. We read that, uh, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. He was angry with God. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said to you when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is just angry with God, so angry. He's saying, take my life from me. What's he angry with God about? Well, he's angry that God had just rescued and saved 120,000 people. He just brought all of these people on. And Jonah's like, I don't want those people to be on your team. Similarly, this is the guy who wins the World Series. And in the post-game interview, he's telling the reporter, well, yeah, I went 0 for 3 from the plate and making it all about him, right? And God has this beautiful question that he asked Jonah in this moment. He says this to him. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? That's the first question that we have to ask. Does our anger really fix anything? Essentially what God is asking Jonah is he's saying, hey, how's, how's that working out for you? <laughs> what kind of fruit is your anger providing you? It's brought you outside of this city gate by yourself. And I fear for us as, as people that The way that we hear news and the reports that come and the way our media can be at times that can be so divisive and be fueled with all kinds of anger, and especially in a time where we need to be together on certain things, I just want to ask the question, how's our anger helping us? Is it? How's that working out for us if we're just angry? God is asking this Question of Jonah. And he's asking to you and I. Really, he's trying to get at something deep inside of us. He's trying to get at our heart, fighting for it. And see, God acts differently than Jonah. So the question becomes: Well, how did God act differently? Well, we notice that Jonah said these words in Jonah four two. It says, "For I know that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster." These are beautiful words that Jonah brings up, but they're not words that Jonah like made up himself. In fact, they're words that come from Exodus thirty four verses six and seven. The story of Moses where he has the stone temple, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the stone uh, tablets. And, and what we read is that Moses says these words that God, Yahweh, the one that we are worshiping today, the one that we are singing songs to, the one who's with you today, the one who wrote these words, he's a gracious God. He's merciful and slow to anger. But I think that raises a question for us. What, is it, what does it mean? to be a gracious God. I mean, that's a pretty like churchy word that sometimes we don't really dig into to fully understand. Because I think for some of us, we, we take these attributes of who God is and we like to amplify some of them over others. Let me explain. I, I know that um, when you read the Bible, you will see that God is a God of judgment. That he is one who is providing a way, he's one who brings judgment into this world. yet we also see that God is a God of love and compassion and And I need you to get this because this is so important to understand, because I think for some of us, we see that um, these things are Are actually divided. They they point to two different gods. We say things like, well, that's the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament and stuff like that that can be really dangerous. Or or we say things like, well, I prefer uh, the God of love over the God of judgment or, or that love ultimately triumphs over judgment. Or even worse, we say things like that these two things are opposite of one another. And that becomes really dangerous for us to say. Let me explain. Uh, I think we all can agree, even if you're religious or not, or you just stumbled on this like video feed, I think we all would agree that this world is messed up, that it's broken. It's not complete or how it's supposed to be, especially in light of the current circumstances of where we are. We all can admit that we contribute to the brokenness in some way, shape, or form. But but it wouldn't make sense for a gracious God to look at the world as it is and say, well, you know, those humans... even though they're broken, I'm just going to love them anyways, and there shouldn't be any like consequences for the way that they're acting. I think anybody with a reasonable mind would say, no, we need you to act in this moment. And this becomes dangerous when we say that God is just a God of love, and we, we separate the judgment. Let me say it maybe in a different way that could make sense. Imagine that you're walking your neighborhood or, or wherever you live and you see a group of kids and uh, there's a kid that's wearing like a Ninja Turtles backpack or something like that, right? And, and as you're getting closer, you're noticing these like kids are picking on the kid that has the Ninja Turtle backpack and they're making fun of them because of the backpack or pointing fingers at them and all these kinds of reasons. I would ask you, what is the gracious thing to do in this moment? If you think that the gracious thing to do would be to walk alongside of that and not do anything and just say, hey, well, kids will be kids. I remember those days sort of thing. You don't understand what it means that we have a gracious God. Because to have a gracious God really means that, that you would step into that situation You would come to the defense of the person who's being picked on and you would bring judgment to say, you know what, that's not how we treat one another. Showing love to the person who's being picked on, yet also showing love through the judgment of that, hey, you need to act a different way here. And imagine that that would create a, just a spiral effect inside of your neighborhood that if you didn't say something that you're essentially by keep walking, that you're, you're allowing this to happen in the community that you live in. And what I need us to understand is that we have a God who is gracious and he holds love and judgment in tension, in balance because sometimes we look for a god who's just warm and fuzzy and cozy and doesn't like allow any harm or sometimes we look for a god who just is going to squash people and bring judgment but instead what we get is a god of grace we get a god of grace who will take us down into the depths of despair in order to hidden to mine out hidden reserves of faith. Our God is gracious, and what that means is that he's not some friend who will just pat you on the back and tell you everything's good, even when they don't think so. Our God is is not some like social media troll who's just criticizing everything that we do, but really we have a God who's a good and faithful parent, one who will call us to do difficult things, who will work on our hearts, who will hold these two things in balance and intention and show us grace and who challenges us to be compassionate even to people we don't like, even to our enemies. And I know this, Because thousands of years after the story of Jonah, we hear about this guy, Jesus, the God-man who comes into our world, who also was brought outside of a city, but he didn't go on his own effort. They drug him outside of the city and they hung him on a cross. And he did that out of love and compassion and taking the judgment that we deserve and put it on himself bringing grace to those who believe by his death and resurrection. So the story continues, though, in Jonah, because God has one more question for Jonah. See, as Jonah is sitting outside of the city and he's angry with God, uh, God all of a sudden provides a plant for Jonah and it brings shade for him. And then we read right after that that, God provided a tiny little worm and the worm ate up the plant and it took away the shade. And then God has one more big question for Jonah. It's, it's this, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle? Essentially, what God is asking Jonah is, he's saying, do you care more about a plant than people? Or are you more concerned? about things than people. See, God is digging deep into Jonah's heart. Maybe another way to say it would be like like this. Do you show compassion to all people? I heard one person say it like this, like imagine uh, that there's a boulder coming down the road and you're standing there in your car and you either like move your car out of the way or the group of people who are also standing next to you on that road. If you can only choose one, who do you choose? And God is saying that I want you to care more about people than about stuff. And what's so fascinating is that, that that's how this book ends. That when you read it, it closes with a question. A question that leaves us uncomfortable. A question that leaves us in this place of really contemplating and wondering where. Am I putting my energy and effort in? So, so when I when I think about that moment in time with the tortilla chips and sparkling water, as I was waiting in the deli, uh, I I really had to understand that God seems to be a God who, because of his grace, will call me to places of inconvenience at times. That things won't work exactly how I necessarily want them to work, even when I'm choosing to do good things. That God's going to call me to uh, maybe be with people that I don't necessarily enjoy being around. That might be uncomfortable for me, but the way that God is going to act is that He's a gracious God who will desire for us to show love and also to show and, and tell people about truth and in love. That keeping this balance of being a gracious God. I know this because this is how God acted with the Ninevites. This is how God acted with Jonah? And this is how God is acting with me and with you as well. Now, I get it, though. I get it. You might be saying, hey, thanks for the three questions about Jonah. Uh, Hey, Pastor Dave, I got a lot of questions for God right now, and none of them have to deal with Jonah. I, I got questions about... Um, when is this pandemic going to end? Am I still going to have my job? Uh, How much toilet paper do I need? Like real questions that are bigger than what might seem to be these questions that God is asking Jonah. Like will I ever work remotely again or do I even ever want to work remotely again? Massive things that we're struggling with in this season and time. I want to offer you this, though, that while you might not be asking these three questions, I think these are three questions that we need to be pondering right now as people that are important for us to understand a little bit more as God is digging deeper into our heart. Do I really live a life that, is reflective of the calling that I'm supposed to show compassion to all people, which includes even my enemies. That, that God is a gracious God, one who is holding this balance of love and judgment so beautifully well, that our God is present here in this place, even in the midst of this time. And that I also realize that I don't hang on to anger, but instead I hang on to the God of grace, the God who used a prophet, the God of grace who sends a fish to rescue that prophet, the God of grace who changes the hearts of 120,000 people in an instant and a day, and the God of grace who promises That because he rose from the dead, that those who believe in him, they too, will get to experience the beauty and grace that will remove all sad things and make them untrue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your your life, the way that you have acted, and the grace that you provide. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.